Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Code. Uh, Again, as you know, I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room. Again, sitting in one of our office locations today, recording this awesome episode with Dr. Julie Fouché. Um, Make sure you tune into the show notes for this episode if you want to check out her more extensive background. Um, But she is a physician with Wild Health. She's a former CrossFit Games athlete, um, still quite an athlete herself. But Dr. Julie, thank you so much for um, jumping on this episode of The Code with me. Oh, thanks for having me. And I don't know if I would say I'm still quite an athlete myself these days, but I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, absolutely. And, you know, to share just like the tiniest little background, I think I'm going to get to know you a bit better on this, uh, on this episode through this conversation, but I met Julie at a, um, at a continuing education event that I went to through ICE, uh, the Institute of Clinical Excellence. Uh, This was at a CrossFit facility in Tennessee. And uh, Julie was there leading a bit of the presentation and talking to us um, about um, her time at Wild Health. And um, so that's where we met in, in a fitness-based type of thing. And we did, got to do a workout together. Um, and it was, uh, it was pretty fun. So that was about it's a month a ago. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, well, Julie, would you be so kind to share a little bit about yourself and share your background here um, for anyone that's listening to this? Sure. So I will, I guess I'll give you the overview. I Grew up in Michigan. I was always very into sports, particularly gymnastics was my main sport growing up. And then I did track and continued gymnastics in high school and also knew pretty early on that I thought I wanted to pursue a career in medicine. And so when I was in undergrad is when I first came across CrossFit. I was studying in Ann Arbor, Michigan and learned about CrossFit in 2009 And it really felt like what I had been looking for ever since I finished high school and was no longer in an organized sport. It was something that was different every day. It was challenging. The focus was more on learning new skills and expanding what your body could do rather than what, you know, what you looked like or how many calories you were burning. And I immediately felt at home when I walked into a CrossFit affiliate. And so at first I joined just to do it for fun and to get in shape for my own fitness and health. But Pretty quickly, I did some extra training and joined some local competitions. And next thing I knew, I was competing at the CrossFit Games a year later in 2010. And that was the same summer that I was also applying to medical school. So around the same time, I was pursuing these two different things. And um, I think the timing was sort of perfect because if I had started competing in CrossFit maybe a little bit earlier or waited a little bit later to apply to med school, I probably wouldn't be a doctor here today. I'd probably still be... (laughs) competing in CrossFit or, or somewhere in my, in my career, but, um, I'm so glad that it happened the way it did. And I was able to compete during, um, half of my medical school training. And then I went on to finish, uh, med school and, and, uh, residency in family medicine mm-hmm. and finished my CrossFit games career in 2015. And now I'm practicing with, as you mentioned, a company called wild health, where we do precision medicine. And we're really focusing on helping people optimize their health 
and really take a very personalized approach. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's sort of my story in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it's so funny how like two huge passions of yours, you know, the fitness and the CrossFit side and, you know, wanting to go into medicine hit at the same time at Mm -hmm. that little intersection. Um, And, you know, it it gets you thinking, like you sort of just said, like, what if this would have happened at a different time, your whole future would probably have been a little bit different. Absolutely. I think everything happens for a reason and Mm -hmm. we all have our unique path, even though it doesn't make sense in the moment. Many times looking back, we connect those dots and and it does. And I'm really grateful that it happened the way it did. And I, you know, initially didn't think that my medical career had anything to do with my CrossFit career. I thought maybe I wanted to become a specialist, maybe even a surgeon. Um, I was always very much a perfectionist and thought, let me just know one part of the body really well. Um, but the more experience I had in CrossFit and the more I saw the power of CrossFit to really transform people's lives and create health in a way that was not happening in the doctor's office. It made me much more passionate about prevention. And that's Mm -hmm. what led me to study family medicine, which is a very broad, (laughs) the most broad field that you can go into. Um, And it was was very much not um, a specialist. And at times can be very uncomfortable because you have to know a little bit about everything instead of being an an expert in one thing. But philosophically, I think it aligns well with CrossFit and this idea of caring for the whole person and um, really looking at how we can optimize health so that we can prevent disease from happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to go down that path um, as we, you know, talk a little bit more on this episode of of this podcast, because what you just said, you know, at Wild Health, you guys use precision medicine to to really try to dictate individualized care to optimize people's health. And to people that are listening to this that don't maybe already participate in, um, you know, healthcare with a functional medicine provider or somebody that follows that kind of philosophy, they're maybe thinking like, what are you talking about? That's not what happens when I go to the doctor's office Mm -hmm. is, you know, I sit in the waiting room for who knows how long, you know, I heard from a client yesterday that um, who actually works at a physician's office that their doc was running an hour behind on, Mm -hmm. on their appointments. So say you sit in the, uh, sit in the waiting room for an hour past when your appointment was going to be. And then you get to see the physician for, I don't know, 10 minutes maybe. Mm -hmm. And um, you walk out of there with a prescription pad paper in hand and say, here, go to your local pharmacy and get this medication. And that'll uh, hopefully improve your symptoms. Call Mm -hmm. me if you need anything. Uh, Right. You know, that's what a lot of people's family medical uh, appointments are like. So would you um, just sort of like give us an overview of like, how did wild health, wild health come to be? What is wild health? What's precision medicine? And, um, and you know, what made you want to like move into more of this functional medicine approach Mm -hmm. when you got out of medical school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the description that you gave was just really classic and it's sometimes funny to think about how did we get here? You know, how did we get to a place where we are, you know, really depending, waiting for people to get sick and then mainly using pharmaceuticals as our first line to address symptoms instead Mm -hmm. of really addressing the underlying cause, which is the foundation of functional medicine is let's look for the root cause and address that. Mm -hmm. And I think pretty early on, I knew I didn't want to practice in that traditional setting. I, I was lucky that I was exposed to functional medicine pretty early on when I was in medical school. I was at the Cleveland Clinic and Mark Hyman, who is a well-known functional medicine doctor, came to start the Center for Functional Medicine. 
at the Cleveland Clinic. And so I was able to really, I remember still very vividly remember the first time that he came to give a talk for us. And I didn't realize that they were opening a, a whole center. I just thought, wow, I think I've heard of this term functional medicine somewhere. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go to this talk. And it, I remember there was no reason I wasn't going to be anywhere near the building where he was giving the talk. And I had to get up early and it was not convenient, <laughs> but I felt really called to go to this talk. And I went and everything I walk happens in for and, a reason, right? <laughs> yeah. The, you know, there's all these department heads there and all these important people. And lo and behold, not only does he describe functional medicine, which for me was such an aha moment of, oh my gosh, this is how medicine should be practiced. Yeah. But they announced the Center for Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. So it was exciting to be able to be in an environment where this was accepted and where mm -hmm. I had opportunities to learn from, you know, some people who are at the cutting edge of the field. So, you know, I knew that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. For me, it was like going yeah. to my CrossFit level one. Once you see that, like exercise for me was never going to be the same. Sure. Um, and so I knew I wanted to practice that way. And luckily in my residency, it was also a very supportive, open-minded place to learn where, where I was able to practice um, some of those things and learn and gain functional medicine education while I was going through my residency as well. Mm -hmm. And it was shortly after residency that I got to know wild health. Um, so wild yeah, health. Actually, was, hey, Julie, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. I don't think I asked you, where did you, um, so you grew up in Michigan. Uh, where did mm -hmm. you like, where did you study for undergrad and medical school and your residency and stuff? Where'd you complete those things? I did my undergrad in biomedical engineering at University of Michigan. So mm -hmm. I grew up in Michigan. Yeah. And, but I, I really always knew deep down I wasn't going to be an engineer. I was just not going <laughs> to cut out to be an engineer. Yeah. Uh, but I studied biomedical engineering because that was very interesting to me, problem solving in the context of the human body. And um, interestingly, that I'm talking to you, everyone would always ask since I was into athletics, well, don't you want to do sports medicine? Sure. Or yeah. I was never really mechanically inclined. So even studying biomechan or biomedical engineering, I focused on bioelectrics ah, and mm -hmm. I never really had that much of an interest in sports medicine. I was always much more interested in sort of the biochemistry and the, uh, physiology as opposed to the mechanics. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know why, but interesting. <laughs> um, but then I went to med school and residency at the Cleveland clinic. And so I was there in Cleveland for a total of nine years. So I took an, uh, a little bit of extra time while I was competing. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, since I interrupted you, you said once you, uh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You knew that's the way that you, you, you know, you wanted to practice and then you got introduced to, to wild health. That's right. Yes. And wild health, it was started originally by two emergency medicine physicians. So Dr. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Mallon and Dr. Matt Dawson. And they had actually been doing CrossFit. They first did CrossFit when they were in residency together. And they were, you know, very much of a biohacking type mind where they would just experiment, self-experiment on themselves a lot. And there was a point during residency where they were both trying a keto diet and they were measuring their ketones and they were eating the same things. They had working the same shifts, same schedule. But for some reason, Mike's cholesterol went through the roof and mats looked great. And so then they started really investigating the impact of genetics and they realized that there was a lot there that was known in the literature, but that was not really being utilized or incorporated in clinical practice. And so they just started experimenting more and more. 
and learning more about all of these things that you don't learn in medical school, like the impact of our lifestyle, of our sleep, stress, exercise, nutrition. And they started practicing that way with family and friends and then eventually opened this practice called Wild Health. And it's grown a lot in the last few years, but the, the focus is on what we call precision medicine, which is taking all of the data at our fingertips, realizing that every person is unique, you know, we're unique genetically, but we're also impacted even more so by our environment and looking at what are all those environmental factors, whether it's, you know, how we grew up, whether it's our current stressors, what we're eating, what we're exposed to, how we're sleeping, all of those different things. And then all the data we have, whether it's our genetics, our labs, any wearable data that we can use, like um, you know, CGMs or HRV trackers or sleep trackers or blood pressure monitors or body composition testing, anything, any kind of metrics that we can get our hands on. And then we can create a very personalized plan for mm -hmm. each patient based on that data. And from that, from that plan, we can then, you know, expect to see some improvements. We're going to have objective markers that we're going to track to see if we're improving. And if not, then we're going to adjust the plan and keep moving forward. But the more data that we have on a person, the more educated our guesses are about where to start and what direction to go. And the quicker we can usually get to that sort of optimal lifestyle that supports health. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and it's, it's so easy, I think, to understand hearing you say that, like how much that makes sense. Like, let's do a real thorough analysis of all the things that we can and use that information to help us make the best judgment calls and, you know, educated guesses of what we should do next based on that data. Um, but, that, but that's just not what the system allows, uh, allows. And that's not what most people get to experience, even though what you're saying makes perfect sense when you, uh, when you think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately with the, the healthcare system, the way that it's set up is that, you know, you come in with a certain set of symptoms and those symptoms are usually grouped into a disease, you know, mm -hmm. a, a disease with a name and based on clinical trials with large groups of people to test whether, you know, a certain drug or certain intervention works or not. Um, you know, we decide what the best treatment is for that disease or that grouping of symptoms. And that's what you would you know, be prescribed from your doctor. And if mm -hmm. that doesn't work, then they'd go to the next line or the next right. line. Um, but the reality is, is that all those patients or people including in, included in those clinical trials are all a little bit different. And that's why right. in a lot of instances, we hear conflicting news all the time about whether, you know, caffeine is good for you or it's bad for you or official is good for you or bad for you, or, you know, the keto diet's great or a vegan diet's great. And it's, it's, largely because we're all different. So we all yeah. respond differently. Um, and so giving a sort of cookie cutter response or treatment to every single person is probably not the answer. And the more we're able to understand what makes people different and who's likely to respond to what, the better yeah. able educated we are and the better we're going to be able to give the appropriate treatments. But also taking that one step further, we're not just looking for a treatment for the symptoms. We're looking at what's the underlying cause of those symptoms and if we can support your body to then create health, um, then usually those symptoms will go away and not you, it's, you know, you shouldn't need a treatment long-term in, yeah. in most cases. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you come on the show and talk about that, because this is so, uh, I think impactful for people to hear that, like, mm -hmm. if they don't already know about this, that, you know, I think they should, 
start to learn and understand what functional medicine is. And this is the same type of an approach that, you know, we take in our, our physical therapy or sports medicine type of clinic where, you know, a lot of times what happens in these higher volume clinics is someone goes in with knee pain, for example, when they get looked at through this lens of like, boom, we're going to treat your knee and we're going to give you like these six exercises to do. And uh, maybe we'll dry needle your quad, but the issue might be coming from their lumbar spine, or maybe it's their lack of thoracic spine mobility or, or some other issue root cause that's causing that symptom. Um, And, you know, that person may go to therapy for several visits and then their knee pain may not go away. And they say, well, physical therapy didn't work for me, but it's because that person's different than another person that walks in there with the exact same symptoms, their root cause may be different. Their treatment needs to be different. Um, Mm -hmm. but the system in our, in our world doesn't allow for that either. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think this is great. And what I love, um, I didn't even know the background of, of wild health and the, the gentleman that, um, you know, created it. But there's such um, an interesting parallel between uh, wild health and that they came from the emergency medicine world because we have a good relationship here in the Denver area with a functional medicine office that I really mm-hmm. trust and respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and the provider who uh, who started that, he too came from the emergency medicine world and from mm-hmm. the sports medicine world. And he says the exact same thing about you or, or what you said about like, everybody's going to respond differently to like a different dietary approach or whatever. And he specifically used that same keto example as, uh, as you said, where like some clients will follow a keto diet and their lab markers will look wonderful. And when he himself followed it, his cholesterol was like through the roof. He was Mm -hmm. feeling good. Like his body Mm -hmm. felt good, but his labs did not look good. Mm -hmm. Um, he's like, well, this is probably not based on this data, the best thing for me to do. So let me change it up and see, see what I can figure out that's going to be more optimal for, for myself. Right. Which is, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to assess. There's so many things out there. There's so many interventions, mm-hmm. um, you know, and especially with nutrition, there's the always the late, you know, the latest diet trend. And it's hard to know, you know, we can go off of how we feel. And I think ultimately that may be, you know, most important, but I think that there's a lot of information that we can glean from things like lab markers and, tracking our performance markers and and other things like that. If we're really, truly looking to optimize health and longevity for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. Well, so I got a question for you that um, I'm trying to put myself in like, you know, a a typical client or patient's shoes. And one thing that I hear a lot um, about people who maybe want to work with somebody like myself or, or somebody like yourself is, well, you know, I don't know how I'm going to afford that. Or, or does my health insurance pay for that type of thing? So like, how do you tend to answer that question when we know the, the hindrance that, you know, the system, the healthcare system and health insurance system puts on the provider's ability to actually perform and provide care in the way that we're talking about? It's, it's really hard to do when insurance is highly involved. Um, so how do you typically um, address that question? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's really hard for anybody, I think, to try to wrap your head around or understand how this insurance system works. But I think one of the one of the ways that I try to explain it is that is the example of how oftentimes, you know, we are an out-of-pocket service, at least right now, um, where we charge a monthly fee or an annual fee. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, if someone were to use us as their primary care, then go to a higher deductible insurance plan 
um, which means they would reduce their premium, then they're often able to save money overall. So the problem is, is that when you have a really high deductible insurance plan that you're using for, you know, for primary care, you end up paying, still paying a lot out of pocket initially until you reach your deductible. So for example, um, you may have a basic lab panel that you go and get, and it costs three or $400 because the insurance bills that much for it versus when we send you to LabCorp for your, your basic lab panel and just pay cash for it, it might cost 20 bucks. Yep. But unfortunately, insurance marks it up so much and you're still paying out of pocket for most of those things until you pay down your deductible. So right. either way, you're often still paying a lot out of pocket in addition to what you're paying for insurance. Yeah. Um, now, this is obviously different depending on each person's situation um, and obviously what other health conditions you have or how you use your insurance if you're someone who has who's on a very expensive medication and you need a more, you know, um, a better insurance plan to cover those things. And that's different. But for many people who are generally healthy, a higher deductible insurance plan that will be there for you when, you know, if, you know, having bridge something cat- yeah, yeah. catastrophic happens, then you have it. And that's really what the purpose of insurance, but for your general preventive, um, health needs, then paying out of pocket can often be cheaper. Yeah. It's just hard to to sort of navigate and wrap your head around that when you already are paying for insurance. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other aspect of it is really the value. Like if you're going to, you know, you can, your insurance is going to cover a general primary care office, but you're going to get 15 minutes and a prescription, you know, for your symptoms. And that's not what you want. Then oftentimes, you know, you think about, is it worth paying a little bit extra out of pocket for getting someone who's truly going to be looking holistically at my health and spending, you know, our first appointment is 55 minutes with patients and getting to know you. And we also heavily use health coaches who are incredible partners with our patients to provide them extra support. So there's a lot more value that comes, um, overall. And so it really comes down to, you know, what are you looking for and what are you willing to invest in it? Now, I think hopefully my goal is that overall someday, everybody has access to this type of care and then it's not a, a crazy amount of money, especially, and, and maybe it's more of a, we're able to actually figure out our insurance system so that we can have yeah. a true insurance system for accidents and that, you know, preventive care is reasonably priced as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so interesting. And, you know, I think that's, that's probably why we got into this. Uh, I guess what I'll say is mess in the first place is health insurance unlike all the other types of insurance out there for your home and your auto and mm-hmm. or whatever um all those things are for when accidents happen right? right but we utilize our health insurance for just like normal stuff that should be handled through preventative means and taking care of our body and mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have a lot of the issues that we tend to you know have to run to urgent care for or to the doctor or, or whatever Absolutely. Um, I love I, the example of the, the car, right? Like you yes. don't, you don't, your car insurance doesn't cover your oil changes or your car washes. Exactly. And it's same kind of thing here, but, um, but it's, you know, you think about the implications too. I mean, if in a true, I would hope that we'd be able to prove to insurance companies that if we can keep people healthy, it will save money overall. And so mm-hmm. you would think that we'd be taking a more preventive approach, but yeah. we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Not there yet, but um, folks like you guys at wild health, us at physio room, we're trying to change that, that narrative and that landscape a little bit. Um, you know, I, I oftentimes too, will tell people that, and you see this in, in society, right? If, if people don't have a lifestyle where they take care of themselves throughout their life, 
usually those people end up spending a lot of money or, or their health insurance plan ends up spending a lot of money on medical care as they get older. Um, you know, I like to live by this idea of you will either choose to pay for your wellness now, like while mm-hmm. you have plenty of years left to live, or you'll be forced to pay for your sickness later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, cause probably the good chances are something, you know, you're going to have some condition that maybe if you would have exercised more, slept better, eaten better, whatever, uh, maybe you could have prevented that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a hard thing to see somebody in, you know, in the hospital after they've had their, their first heart attack and it's, it's a real wake up call to mm-hmm. think, you know, but it's, it's, we all think we're resilient and okay, maybe I'll, I'll sleep more next year or I'll change my diet later. And eventually these things creep up on you. It's hard because in the moment you often feel fine, but they take years and years to develop. And then you're in a situation that's um, potentially really scary. What's going on code listeners, Dr. Andrew fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at element element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, and none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking Element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff, and I wouldn't want to exercise without it. For all of you code listeners and friends of Physio Room, Element's offered a special to you guys, and I want you to take advantage of it. Go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physioroom. That's drinklmnt.com slash physioroom to receive that special offer. You're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. Well, yeah. And sometimes those, those different like areas or pillars of our life kind of conflict with one another. Like for example, um, and I'm going to ask you to, to maybe expand on these, these, um, the things that you talked about at, at that course, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the five or four or five areas that you talk to clients about a lot. But, uh, but last night I found myself um, playing a softball game and, you know, I was having fun with a community of people getting some exercise in. Um, but it, it led to me lacking a fair amount of sleep compared to what I normally do. Cause mm-hmm. by the time I got home and went to bed, it was considerably later than what I normally do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I benefited on one hand and sacrificed on the other hand <laughs> to, to do those things. So, right. but, um, but yeah, Julie, would you share with uh, people listening to this? Like, um, you know, the areas of life or the areas of wellness that, that you talk to clients about all the time um, and like how you try to, to help them balance taking care of themselves in these different areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to. And I think that's a great example. I think with all of these come trade-offs, you Mm -hmm. know, we have to, in in all of them, there's maybe an ideal situation, but then we have to remember that life is not perfect. And so it's always constantly making those decisions of what's, what's best in the moment. But I would say, sort of the five things that I like to focus on most, maybe there are six things with patients would Mm -hmm. be nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, and relationships. And maybe the sixth one would be purpose also. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, just starting with sort of the, the first four nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress nutrition is pretty, pretty obvious. I think everybody knows that what you eat impacts your health. And we know in general, what are the good things for us to eat? We can argue over a lot of the details, but eating real food is really what it comes down to. Um, Mm -hmm. If we can remove the processed foods, 
then we're generally going to be much healthier. We can argue about, you know, meat. We can argue about, you know, keto diets and carnivore diets and all the latest things. But if we start by just eating real food, um, that's going to be great for almost everybody. And with that, I think the ones that are a little bit sneakier for people are, you know, the quality of our animal products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is if you're eating animal products, that's eating them that come from as close to their natural environment as possible. Like, you know, grass fed beef, free range chicken, things like that. Um, you know, wild caught fish. And then, um, oils are another one that are, that are really tricky because often, especially if you're eating out, you don't realize what type of oils there are, but, um, the, the best kind of oils that I think we can focus on eating would be avocado and olive oil for most people. Generally avocado oil is going to be best if you're cooking with it. Cause it has a higher smoke point and olive oil mm-hmm. is better for like salads and things like that. Yeah. Um, coconut oil can kind of be a hit or miss depending on your genetics, I think can be a big factor in terms of how much you, um, respond to things like coconut oil, but in a lot of our processed foods are a lot of processed oils too. So those are things to be aware of. And then, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of talk now about fasting and intermittent fasting. Sure. I think that for most people, a 12 hour fast is probably a good place to start. Um, it's, it, that should probably not even be considered a fast, but it's something that we have to bring up because I think most people just in the world that we live in are probably doing less than that at night, especially if maybe you work late, you work out after work, you eat eat a late dinner, and then you're up early the next morning, you might be eating in a shorter window. And, and that just has an impact on us over time, allowing our bodies that time to really rest and digest and go into uh, more of a repair mode for our metabolism and our bodies is important um, for things like, you know, metabolism and insulin resistance, but also things like cancer prevention long-term too. Mm-hmm. And obviously playing around with intermittent fasting can be helpful or longer fasting at times can be helpful if you're in the right population for it. Obviously, you know, pregnancy, breastfeeding, eating disorders are things you want to be aware of there. Right, right. That's nutrition. And then based on, you know, your specific goals, your genetics, we can get into some of the nuances there, but I think those are, are the basics. And then uh, the next one's exercise. I think your audience probably knows plenty about this, but I hope so. Um, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but for me, I think it's all about, you know, I love CrossFit because I think it's, it's so simple. It's, you know, constantly varied. It's varied up. Make sure you're not getting in a, in a routine. We are exposing yourself to different, your body to different demands. It's, um, functional movements, you know, replicate movements that you're going to see in everyday life. So you're strong in those movement patterns, like squatting and pressing and deadlifting, um, and then high intensity. And I think that that looks different for every person, Mm -hmm. but doing some sort of exercise that is at intensity is going to help you have the greatest results. And it's also going to be a lot more efficient. Um, but I think, I think there's a role for all types of exercise. I think doing things that are fun, I think incorporating movement throughout the day so that we're not just, exercising for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour and then sitting the rest of the day is extremely important too. Yeah. I love to talk about that with people, how (laughs) like, you know, if you, so many people work on a computer, right? You can't sit at a computer all day long and then sit on your couch at home, sit in your car to drive home and think Mm -hmm. that, you know, going to the gym for 45 minutes or walking on treadmill for 45 minutes is just going to totally counteract all of that. There has to be some other sometimes I use the term like movement snacks throughout mm-hmm. the day, like things yeah. that get you up out of your chair, get you moving and, um, and yeah, exposing your body to different positions. Yeah. It's a tough, 
you know, world that we live in now with Mm -hmm. Zoom and being on our computers, but finding whatever way it is that works for you, whether it's taking a, you know, five minute break in between meetings, going for a walk, if you can, if you're on phone calls, um, you know, whatever ways that you can, I think that's very important too. I think sometimes um, people maybe don't enjoy um, coming to do an in-person meeting with me because whenever the weather and like their footwear or whatever allows, I, <laughs> I kind of pitch the idea like, Hey, how do you feel about, um, you know, walking while we, walk. while we yeah. talk? <laughs> because yeah. Otherwise we're just going to sit here in, in this office when, um, you know, we could go move around. So. Absolutely. I love it. I love walking meetings. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I've heard too, of people doing these like commutes since people don't commute anymore, if they're Mm -hmm. working from home, doing like a quick walk around the neighborhood, listen to a podcast or after work, quick walk, just to kind of transition your mind from work into home life. I think that's a great idea too. Yeah. I like that idea. You could listen to a cool podcast like this or like, yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's right. Um, so sleep is another one, which, you know, I think now people are really tuning into how, just how important our sleep is. Yeah. I think, you know, for a long time, people were so focused on nutrition and exercise and sleep is, I think more important than both of those. Um, it's just such an important, um, recovery tool for our bodies and the implications of short sleep or irregular sleep schedules on our health are really Mm -hmm. big. I mean, just going a few nights of short sleep can make us insulin resistant. Um, it's going to increase our hunger. We're going to be, um, craving more carbs or sugar. Um, you know, people who have changes in their circadian rhythm or doing shift work, we know are a lot higher risk for many different health problems you know, from metabolic disease to cancer. And, Uh, you know, some people that they have control over that, some people they don't. So, but the more you can try to minimize the impact of those types of things, the better. I think we have so many tools at our fingertips now with sleep trackers. mm -hmm. Um, I think that just making sure probably the most important thing is just making sure we get a regular opportunity for sleep every night and as much as possible, trying to have a consistent bed and wake time. And, um, and I think the wind down routine before bed is really important too. I think we in general live in a culture that's very go, go, go all the time. We're, you know, have our email on our phones. We're checking it right up until we go to bed. And I think if you can have some time where you put your phone down, you unwind, whatever it is that helps you relax, whether it's reading a book or, um, you know, just relaxing with your loved ones before bed, I think is really, uh, beneficial. Yeah. Um, and then with the circadian rhythm, I think, you know, trying to avoid the, the light, like putting that phone down, not watching TV right before bed. And, and then in the morning, trying to get some sunlight first thing in the morning and having a a regular wake time, I think can go a long way for our sleep as well. Absolutely. That whole topic right there, just on sleep. And, you know, we've talked about sleep on some other episodes of this show. That is the single reason why I started wearing a whoop Mm -hmm. was, because I knew that I needed to have some, some sort of data, right? Something to show me so that I could make changes. If, if there was data that said like, Oh, you need to make some changes here, which there was. Um, yeah. so I've tried to put some, you know, put some things in place. Cause I felt like, you know, I sort of already have for the most part, my nutrition dialed in at least the majority of the time I was happy with my fitness and exercise, but I was like, there's gotta be some room for improvement on, um, on my sleep and on my stress and 
like, how can I measure those things? So, mm-hmm. uh, some of my friends talked me into wearing a whoop and, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been eye opening, uh, on that. Same here. I also wear the whoop. I also wear an aura at night. Cause I like to compare them, but those I remember are you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. That's mainly the reason is for sleep for both of them. And I think it's true. What, what gets measured gets managed. And if we have data to know, um, the quality of our sleep, you know, the amount of deep and REM sleep that we're getting our HRV. I think those are all really important data points and can help drive our behaviors. And I've talked yeah. to, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that have really changed their habits around alcohol because of wearing one of these devices, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol and caffeine being probably two of the most commonly used substances that interrupt our sleep. And it just makes you think more about, you know, when you want to have a drink. And like you said, it's these trade-offs. Like if someday, sometimes you're out with your friends and it's, you really want to have a drink and you understand that it's probably going to impact my sleep, but I'm okay with it. Other times, maybe you're like, I don't really need a drink tonight, or I don't really want to, because I would rather have that good quality sleep. Yep. Yeah. Or looking at the timing too, you know, yeah. if you have it maybe a little bit earlier or not as much, it might not have the same impact on your sleep and you don't know for yourself unless you test it and you measure it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been one of those people who it just makes you be more intentional about your decisions around Mm -hmm. those things. And, you know, sometimes you may make the exact same decision you would have made before and you have reasons for that and that's okay. And other times you make a different decision for different reasons. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's been hugely impactful. I'm coming up on my like, you know, renewal period and stuff. And I think for that sole reason, I think I'm Mm -hmm. probably going to renew it, um, again, because it just helps me like keep it, keep it, um, being, you know, measured and managed, like you said. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I just made some of those decisions myself the last week or so I have not gotten my usual amount of sleep, but all like day by day made those intentional decisions because of things that had come up that I decided were important for me to stay up for. And I paid for it just as I knew I would, um, (laughs) you know, it definitely was feeling it, but last night I finally got a really good night's sleep and feel yeah. So much better. So it just, you know, it doesn't mean that you're always going to, you know, make the decision for sleep, but at least, you know, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So what do you talk to, um, to people about from the stress standpoint, Julie? Yeah. Stress is another one that's really difficult because it's a little bit, um, you know, it's different for every person and we as humans are not very good at, perceiving how much stress we're under. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're all really good at, at just saying, you know, taking on a lot and being resilient. And oftentimes we don't, our bodies don't tell us that we're under too much stress until it's too late and it ends yeah. up in a health condition or, you know, you know, mental health issues or anything like that. So I think, you know, HRV is another marker that I think is extremely helpful for helping people objectively measure their stress. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that looking at, there's some validated tools like a perceived stress score. That's something that you can use to monitor stress at different time points and help people see if they're improving or changing. But I think we underestimate the impact and stress is not just psychological stress. It's not just, you know, traffic and, you know, kids and work and family and, and things like that. Um, finances, it's, it's the cumulative stress over your life. And oftentimes it goes back to, you know, total life stress, things that we encountered in childhood that maybe are still impacting us, or at least they're impacting our brains on a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 
finding ways. And, and when I say that, I mean, they're impacting our brains in a subconscious level so that we're in a fight or flight mode or in a sympathetic mode more often than maybe we need to be. Um, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we were all designed to be able to go into this fight or flight mode whenever we needed to, to protect ourselves. If we're being chased by an animal or we need to protect our family, we can go into that fight or flight so that we can get away from the predator. But then when we were safe, you know, that system turns off and our rest and digest system turns back on. And today I think so much of our lifestyle triggers that fight or flight mode, whether it's you know, things that happened a long time ago in our childhood that just put us in this hypervigilant state, even yeah. from things that are not necessarily dangerous right now, or whether it's from, um, you know, our constant emails and alerts on our phones or the busy lifestyle that we have. So finding, and that over time that impacts our physiology. So it impacts, you know, our psychology. There's a whole field of study called psychoneuroimmunology, which is basically the study of how our thoughts, our psychology, these, these kind of psychological stressors impact our brains, the way that our brains fire, wire and fire, mm -hmm. and then impact our immune system. So based yeah. on a thought that you have can impact then how your brain responds, the neurotransmitters that are produced, the hormones that are produced, and then how that manifests in your body, how it puts your immune system into um, sort of a, a hypervigilant state can lead to inflammation and down the line that then leads to a lot of our chronic diseases, things like autoimmune disease or, um, cardiovascular disease, insulin resistance, things like that. Yeah. So, you know, there's very good science now to support this, that, that, um, you know, we have the stress leads to down the road, leads medical problems. And so the key is how do we then help our bodies go into this rest and digest state? How do we help our bodies know it's safe? I can relax. I don't need to be in this hypervigilant state where my body's producing all these hormones like cortisol and all these um, things like adrenaline and norepinephrine that are putting myself in this stress state. And mm -hmm. so the more that we can figure out what those things are for us that help us to relax, the better. Sometimes that's changing the balance of you know our lives and what we're spending our time on. Sometimes that's just taking time to listen to music or go for a walk in the woods or spend time with our kids or color, or maybe it's something yeah. like mindfulness or meditation, but finding those things that work for you that get you into this rest and digest state um, are extremely important long-term. And I think HRV is a great objective marker that we can use to track. So we know that when your HRV or your heart rate variability is higher, it means that your rest and digest your parasympathetic nervous system is stronger and you're more resilient. And so mm -hmm. you are going to be able to then handle other stressors that come your way, whether those are psychological stressors or, you know, physical or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. Cause you sort of said a lot of different examples of things that may bring you that kind of restfulness. Um, because the answer is probably a little different for everybody. Just mm -hmm. like you said, care is individualized. Mm -hmm. Now I remember you, and I want to make sure we are respectful of, of your time. Um, I remember you saying at the, at the event that we met at that a lot of times you can have all of these different areas in your life, like seemingly in a pretty mm -hmm. good balance, but mm -hmm. still not necessarily feel really good. And the other two things you mentioned, like relationships and emotional health and having purpose, Mm -hmm. um, kind of like layer over the top of these other four things and, um, you know, are extremely important as well. Absolutely. And I think those really characterize a <laughs> lot of, um, like for me, I've realized how important those are from my personal journey over the last couple of years, where I think 
so many people who tend to be, you know, go-getters and type A and try to, um, are always really big in achieving, which is sort of how I've been my whole life. It's always been sports or school or whatever I was working on. Mm -hmm. Um, you can chase those achievements, but sometimes miss the point. And I think we can do that with a lot of these lifestyle factors too. You can be so obsessed with getting the right amount of sleep and eating the perfect diet and measuring every macro and, um, you know, meditating every day and doing all the, you know, going in the sauna, like all the, all the health behaviors. But if you're doing it from a place of trying to control and trying to perfect and trying to be kind of perfect in these health behaviors, um, I think that we, you may be missing the point. And I think this yeah. is a lot of, uh, probably a lot of us, it was me. And I think what I've learned through my own personal experience is that what's at the core of all of this is really who you are as a person, your emotional health, your relational health, um, how, what you're, what you're identifying with your purpose. Like what, what do you feel is your purpose in life? And being able to get a, a good sense of that, then then doing these health behaviors come from more of a place of self-love, of trying to really support yourself and be the best you can be instead of, you know, really being um, oftentimes having a lot of negative self-talk and trying to kind of control. And so that for me was a big sort of evolution and personal journey where it comes down to, for me, like healing a lot of relationships. I think for a long time, I was really chasing achievements um, and wasn't often paying attention to the relationships that were most important in life. It's healing a lot of thoughts. Like, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of, um, I had a lot of negative self-talk cause I was always trying to be harder on myself than anybody else could be. Right. And over time that really takes a toll. That's the same sort of negative thought loop that then produces all these stress chemicals that over time then lead to disease. So for me, it's been bec becoming a lot more aware of, um, of sort of my thoughts, my behaviors, my emotions, my relationships, and really strongly identifying with, um, what you feel is your purpose, what's most important to you. Um, and then when you do that, I think a lot of the other health behaviors start to take care of themselves because they become things that you really want to do because it's, it's from a place of loving yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you kind of opening up and being vulnerable about that, sharing like a, you know, a personal experience that you've had with that and sort of like noticing that within yourself, because, you know, I can, I can sort of see some of that in myself. And I know that's um, probably one of the reasons why I think my wife and I jive so well, because I am, will be that like really type A, like I've got to do all mm -hmm. these things and I've got to, you know, track all these things. Um, but she will not miss the point. She always like has the purpose and, you know, the, the right mindset behind things, even if she's maybe not doing all the other things. Um, and she sort of helps balance me out a little bit that way. I think that's good. Right. Mm -hmm. We always need to balance a little yin and yang. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, before we like really wrap this up, um, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to share with people. Um, you've been doing a podcast a lot longer than I have. Um, titled Pursuing Health. And I would love for you to share a little bit about like what that show is about if people want to tune in and check out some episodes that you've done. Um, so, so what do you guys get into on that show? Sure. Yeah. So Pursuing Health, I started just after I finished competing in CrossFit in 2015. And it was a way for me to really stay in touch with the CrossFit community and continue that conversation. And it's evolved since then. So initially it was a lot more about CrossFit and athletes and fitness. And as I've evolved in my medical career, the podcast has also evolved. So now we oftentimes will talk more about 
health-related topics and guests from athletes to doctors to researchers and anywhere in between. Um, so it's called Pursuing Health. And if you want to check it out, please do. Awesome. Yeah, I've I've had an opportunity since I met you to check out a couple and, and read some of the descriptions of, you know, a handful of your episodes. So I would definitely recommend it to you guys that are listening to this. If you like, uh, you know, searching for other podcasts, mm-hmm. um, I know they're, they're really popular. So there's a bazillion podcasts <laughs> out there, but, um, you yeah. know, life is too short to listen to ones that you don't enjoy. So find one that you really like. Well, yeah. Julie, thank you so much for, um, you know, your time jumping on here and, um, and taking a minute to tell us about yourself and wild health. So if somebody wants to get uh, more information or wants to, you know, obviously they could probably hop on the internet and just search for wild health, but I would love for you to share, you know, maybe like your social media page or ways that people mm-hmm. could get a hold of you if they want to, uh, to find out more. Sure. The best way to find me on social media is probably Instagram. I'm at Julie Fouché, um, just my first and last name. And then if you want to learn more about wild health, that's wildhealth.com. And the Instagram is at wildhealthmd. And if you would like to check it out, you can use uh, a code goodhealth, G-O-O-D-H-E-A-L-T-H, that will get you a 30% discount on our plan. So if you're interested, go ahead and check that out. Awesome. We will make sure all of those things are linked in the show notes for you guys to check out. So be sure to stay tuned for more episodes of The Code check out Julie and Wild Health online and see if that's something that you would like to find out more information on. Again, Dr. Julie Fouché, thanks for joining me. And um, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you so much, Andrew. This was really fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. We'll catch you next time.